0: Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen.
1: And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions.
0: Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. All right. Welcoming on to the podcast, my friend Max Artsis. And he's been training for over 10 years, six of which were spent at Nike World Headquarters, which is actually where we met through. Not at the headquarters, but when Nike had their little setup down here in Los Angeles. We got to know each other through my friend Vinny Rehab as well. And not only in training, but in speaking, in courses, in training, in so many different aspects. And I got to see how hungry Max was, what's to continue to learn, not only for his elite level and Olympian you know, clients that he was working with, but also for himself for his body. And he actually touches on one of the journeys that he went through with his back pain, his disc herniation, and his surgery. And I think it's so important for this message to continue to be a, come across because it's not only what he does with clients, but it's what we do in recovery that makes such a big difference in how we're going to feel in our body. And Max is really just such a Cool person to learn from, and what he does, and how he trains and coaches, and to this day, right now, he's the director of sports and science at Row Performance in Oregon. So I'm excited to dive in with him and get you guys to to learn some things. So take out your notes, open up your ears, and dive in. All right, so excited to have Max on the podcast. Max, we've known each other for a few years now, and. You know, I just, I'm in awe of your continued work and what you do and how you help and just the way that you're continuing to learn yourself. Like you never are not open to something. And I think that's so incredibly inspiring as a human and as a coach. And I'm excited to just hear a little bit of your journey and your story and hopefully help to, you know, inspire others and how they can start to move and feel within their body.
2: I appreciate that. That's awesome. Because I I feel like so many times I go and talk to people that have been in the industry for a while and they've become cemented in their ideology. And it, I feel like it's the kiss of death. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I feel like that's it. You're done. And the more I learn from, and that's why you know, I think people, so many people talk about, like when I learn about soft tissue work and when I do things that are technically out of the scope of practice of a strength and conditioning coach or a trainer, and they're like, why would you do that? That's not in your scope. And I'm like, the whole human body is my scope, mm-hmm. right? So my ability to understand all of these different things, even if I don't want to practice them, just deepens my understanding of what it is that I ultimately want to do so much significantly better.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, I appreciate that you, you see that, that that comes across.
0: You know, I, that is something early in my journey as a physical, ther- as a new physical therapist. I think because I was so protective of like, I worked so hard to become this doctor of physical therapy and like wire trainers doing some of my work and da, da, da. I was that person. <laughs> and I had lots of judgments around it. And then I started going to more and more co- courses, some that are not even like what I would get CUs in as a therapist or anything. But I would see these trainers who are just open to continue to learning all of the things like I need to know how this impacts my athlete. I need to know how this kind of work will help in in what I'm trying to achieve as well. Because if there's a separation and dissociation, then I'm I'm at a lack with my client. And I think, you know, as I've continued to learn myself, I think it's really inspiring to watch as trainers like yourself are continuing to do the work to learn even outside your scope.
2: Well, it's also like understanding all those different facets just makes you so much more dangerous. Mm. And I was talking to someone else that I know, and I was trying to figure out what it is that I do well. I think a lot of times we look at what do we do wrong, but rarely do we go down the path of figuring out like, hey, what is it that I kill? And then how can I double down on that? Because I think that's a really, really important thing for people to do. And someone was saying to me, the thing that I think makes you stand out is not your programming or your knowledge, which you have. It's the fact that you can go coach 20 NBA guys and then an hour later, go train Chloe Kim. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Like Those two things are very, very wildly different. And if you don't expose yourself to pretty much everything, both inside of our field and outside of our field, you're never going to have the life experience to be
1: able to serve as many people as you want to, I don't think. So, my question is, like, what initially attracted you into this area of training? Like, what got you in? Was it your training yourself? Were you an athlete yourself? Um, kind of where Dude, was that origin? it's been the weirdest,
2: weirdest ride
1: ever. <laughs> uh, my dad was a bodybuilder. So, uh, I kind
2: of went the opposite way. Like, when I was, like, nine, he would wake me up at six o'clock in the morning and be, like, let's go lift. And I'd, no, I want to sleep in and play video games. Like, I don't want to do this. Um, So I started to resent the gym just a touch, Mm. even though I played sports, right? So I played football for eight years. I played tennis for 14 years. Mm. Um, So I played sports my whole life. But the actual training side of things, you know, wasn't um, my biggest focus. And then I went to school for musical theater. Like I did theater. I did, and I was a professional singer. It was like a weird, it's been a weird ride, guys. (laughs) And um, I was performing and I ended up training um, for one of my roles and lost 10% body fat in under a year. So wow. I just like shred it up. And the confidence that I walked into a room with, I'd never had that before. And I think a lot of people talk about confidence coming from the inside out. And while I do agree with that to a certain extent, because of the society that we live in, if you don't like what's looking back at you in the mirror, I, I disagree with that statement because. Mm-hmm. If you don't like what's looking back at you in the mirror, then how can you ever have any true confidence in yourself? So for me, that manifested in me getting into better shape and me, you know, shredding up a little bit, you know, that may look differently for everybody, but that confidence that I ultimately gained, I needed to give it to other people. I love it so much and I wanted other people to have it. And so that's kind of how I originally started training. and then. I was at Equinox West LA for three and a half years, um, and then got pulled up to Nike headquarters, which is like the most ridiculous story. And I was up there for eight years or seven years. And while I was up there, I started training more and more athletes, learning more and more about high level performance. Um, and like 10 certs later, you know, just kind of dug super, super deep. And now I'm, you know, blessed to to train Olympic athletes and pros, and I'm the director of sports science and education up at Rogue Performance, which is a gym up in Portland, Oregon, as well.
1: That's incredible, and I love where that answer started. So I'd love to mention on that first. You, you talked about being in theater, right? And I my initial major was music education because I wanted to be a choir director. So yeah, love that man. And I actually just got a keyboard like two days ago because I trained piano growing up. So. I love that you have a musical. You you
2: see things differently, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I feel like so many people
2: in this industry are so science-focused and so intrinsically focused. And I think because of our background is what makes you a good coach because you listen to people. Yeah. You have studied humanity, right? That's all I did was study people. And it gives you a general sense of care for for
1: people's well-being beyond the sets and reps.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. I think the theater community helped me learn how to interact with more different people of all sorts of background, you know, early on in my life. And I kind of want to dive into what you mentioned next about kind of that aesthetic thing, right? And what's looking back at us in the mirror. And so how we feel about that is important. Yes, of course. But does how we feel about it have to directly correlate with what we look like aesthetically? Or are there different ways to kind of change how we have that body confidence? You know, if it isn't the direct aesthetics themselves.
2: Right. I think it's two totally different questions, honestly, a little bit. For me personally, that's just how it manifested itself, right? Like that just my ultimate path toward my personal confidence was I was always insecure about the way that I looked. I put a lot of work in to change that for myself, not for anyone else, right? It was an intrinsic motivation, not an extrinsic motivation. And that paid off for me for a lot of other people, I think it's just hiding and masking other insecurities in their life. Mm -hmm. So everyone's why is going to be different. And I don't think there's anything wrong to say my why was I wanted to change my aesthetics because I knew that I could look better than I did. And I wanted to feel that. Mm -hmm. And then on the other flip flip side of it, I don't think there's anything wrong with someone looking in the mirror and saying, society be damned. I'm cool with this. Yeah. Like, I love myself for this, right? To an extent, I think sometimes we go too far where we're afraid to talk about the health ramifications of being overweight, right? Which is a very, very touchy subject. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of health ramifications, right? Like, when we look at something like COVID, people that are obese or overweight have a higher mortality rate with something like COVID. So, of course, we need to look at being healthy and we need to look at living a healthy lifestyle. But the reasons why you do it have to be in the right place and not the wrong.
0: Totally. Now, I think that's interesting. So what would healthy look like? And something that I want to bring back to what I saw on your page too, is that it's not about sometimes less is more. And I think that's what's so important, especially when we're talking about health and getting back into that health journey. People think more is better. I need to you know, go on this intense diet, I need to work out five hours a day, I need to, and all of a sudden, you might be more unhealthy (laughs) as a result. So, can you... What's that?
2: And then you also have no idea what worked. Exactly. Right? If I So, so if if we're training together, I'm not going to change your intensity, your weight, and your exercise all at the same time, because then I have no idea what I just did.
3: Mm.
2: But if I only change the reps or if I only change the intensity, or if I only change the weight, or if I only change the exercise selection, then I can look back at my data and understand
1: what is it that I did that worked. So then you talked about training, you know, high level athletes, NBA athletes, Olympic athletes. And then you also talk about training, whether it's people in Hollywood or CEOs or high level business execs, something that I kind of want to cut into is like, You said they're very different. Are there similarities in how you approach training people who just operate at the highest level in their field? It's stress, right? You
2: can't compartmentalize stress is the unfortunate piece of the puzzle. So whether I'm worrying about my taxes, uh, I've got six different projects going. I've got kids to worry about. I'm not getting enough sleep or I'm working out because working out is just another form of stress. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to look at the recovery side of things, and how am I recovering? Because if not, then you're just digging yourself into this deep, 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 deep hole. And then on top of that, when you have the athletes, um, you have to deal with fame. And we were not built for fame. Mm-hmm. Fame does not work. Like fame, it's not what it's cut out to be, and it creates a lot more anxiety and a lot more stress. So I think high-level performers on a on the whole have to deal with a significantly more abundant amount of stress. And we have to build their capacity for it.
0: Hmm. Wouldn't you say? I I mean, yes, I think that's so huge on like a high-level athlete or executive. But I also think, you know, what I see personally from clients who come to me, it's, you know, the mom who's doing all the things and taking care of everyone and cooking and and taking care of the kids. And because that's, you know, we got to be this amazing person in the workforce and do all the things as well and work out and look a certain way. And it just builds on that stress level as well. So how do you take a client who is dealing with all of this stress, say, we need to deal with it, and I need to build your capacity? Like, Where do you even start within that?
2: Yeah. And don't mistake, that may be my wording incorrectly, don't mistake my phrase for high performer. To mean somebody that is a CEO or a professional athlete. Yeah. If you are a bus driver and you're the best bus driver in Los Angeles, to me, you're a high performer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think that's a very, very important distinction to make. Um, sure. High performers, right? The thing that sets them apart is they're able to manage that stress. Mm. So when I come in and start working with people, the first thing that I want to do is just observe. I don't want to change anything. I want to see how are you eating? What does your sleep look like? What are your normal training hours look like now? What does your at-home life look like now? So I can get this large, large picture of what does your life look like? And then we can start to implement, okay, you need to fill this bucket. You need to empty this bucket. But I think it all starts with uh, a serious amount of reflection and understanding of what the picture looks like before we just jump in and start doing random things.
0: 100%. I mean, that's where someone can come in with the goal of aesthetically what they want to look like, but you haven't even impact <laughs> the story in the very beginning.
2: It's all about
1: the story, right? That's everything. The what without the why does not lead to results. It leads to anxiety. So you just mentioned, you know, before you jump in doing a bunch of random things. So, hey, I'm somebody who's super overstressed and I know I need to do something in my life. And you're telling me to do this thing, but that guy over there is doing some crazy manual techniques and saying that this is gonna fix it. And this guy over here is gonna says I need to do all this intense breath work. And this person says jump in an ice tub. Like, what the heck do I do? There's a lot of noise right now. It is crazy. There's a lot of noise. It's all about
2: building habits. Mm. And the best thing that I tell people is if you don't like it, you're probably not going to succeed it as a habit. Mm. So. Find the things that you gravitate towards because there isn't one way to recover. For some people, that means spending time with their family. To other people, that means getting away from their family. To some people, that means a nice bath. To some people, that means a sauna. Like It can look differently for everybody, but if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's going to be a very, very uphill battle for you to turn it into a habit. And the only way that we are going to see success is if we have these more and more exposure to whatever your recovery modalities are, right? Exposure is king. So if I do one thing today, but I don't do it for another month, that, that, that's doing nothing for me.
0: All 100%. I mean, I, the amount of questions that I've had on, well, how often do I have to do this? Well, how much do I have to do this? And one, it's individual, as we all know. But two, if, if, exactly like you said, if you only implement it once a week, once a month, what is it actually doing for you? What is that really doing? So, so can you talk into recovery? How often are you recommending your clients focus on this recovery, whatever that is for their body? Um, and, and how, like, is it a lifelong thing? Is it, does it change? Does it adapt? Like, how are you really measuring recovery?
2: Yeah. Well, it also depends on what your specific goals are, right? Recovery is going to look different depending on where we want to go. Mm -hmm. So, I like to periodize recovery the same way that I periodize training. So, take for example, a um, cryotherapy. If you do cryotherapy every single day, when you ultimately really need cryotherapy, it's not going to do anything for you because your body's become adapt to it. But if I periodize cryotherapy, Like, let's say I have a basketball player. I tell him in the off-season, he's not allowed to touch it. I know he loves it, but I know he's not allowed to touch it all off-season. Then when he really needs it during the season and we use it, we see this massive amount of hormonal change because he's been deprived of it. Hmm. So I think it's important to change the different modalities that you're doing in order to find recovery. And that's why all of those things to some extent, work, right? Cold exposure works. Heat exposure works. Norma tech works. Sleeping, you should just, that's your barrier to entry. <laughs> but that's probably like the biggest problem that most people have. Yeah. Um. So I think that you need to periodize your recovery. But this is, look, this is a lifelong thing, right? Like something as small as the way that I'm sitting right now while I'm talking to you is a form of either recovery or me putting myself into a shittier. Sorry if I'm not allowed to cuss position mm-hmm. for my body, and then when I wait, when I stand up, now I'm in a worse off position than I'm when we started here. Mm. So every you're never staying stagnant. Everything you're doing is either pushing you more toward recovery or further into a hole.
0: Hundred percent. Now, what are your Favorite recovery tools. Like, what are some of the things that people can? I mean, I, you kind of touched on some of them. Do you mind letting people know?
2: I think blue light blocking glasses are a really easy, quick thing that I I use. Um, we just don't know enough about it yet.
0: I'm wearing them right now.
2: <laughs> Love that. So we just don't know enough about it yet, right? Like, for all I know, the fact that I have my phone in my pocket 24/7 could lead to testicular cancer. I really don't know. Um, that's someone's job that's much higher up on the pay grain than mine. Likewise, we've just never lived in a society where we've had blue light. So we just don't know what it's going to do to us. And but you do see its effect on sleep. Mm -hmm. So I think blue light blocking glasses are like the lowest barrier to entry that people could do. They even have screen filters that you can put onto your iPhone that are blue light like screens. So I think that's great because that's where we spend a significant portion of our time. Sleep is the end-all be-all mecca of everything. So if you haven't mastered your sleep, I think that's the number one thing people need to do. And if you don't understand how to affect quality, you do know how to affect quantity. Sleep more. So that's kind of the lowest barrier to entry. I sauna every day. I'm lucky enough to have an infrared sauna. Spending time with my dog, he's the man what kind of dog you have he's uh he's like a street dog he was like a a island street pup love it yeah so i think everyone has their own things that make them happy and and at the end of the day that's that's
1: what you need to do to recover i think that itself is a really good thing for people to keep in mind like okay what's a good recovery activity for me like okay think of the first five things that make you happy (laughs) go do it that'll that'll probably (laughs) that'll probably work for you um Because yeah, like you said, infrared sauna, I take a warm bath most nights, like that's my little thing. So we all have those things and we're in a society that we continue to sleep less and less and we continue to be stimulated by more and more. And with the way that we're seeing degeneration of brains in our older populations right now, like what the heck's going to happen to our generation? So if we don't start focusing on some of these things that, you know, we're not, quite noticing right now we are out of balance, down the road, it's going to cause a lot of that buildup in the body. So, I think that's really important to keep in mind. I guess the next thing I would want to ask into has to do with, you're talking about periodization of rest. What about like periodization of training when we're talking about if it's athletes or somebody training for something? Because I know we're getting into these uh, mindsets that we just need to practice our sport more and more. If we want to get better at it, we need to practice our sport more and more. And especially, yeah, you're, with- you're about to get me triggered, but let's right. go. Let's go <laughs> so I want you to speak
2: in that a little bit before I go too far. So I'll go, I'll go uh, general population first. All you need to do, let, let's boil this super far down. You need to sprint once a week. You need to lift something heavy once a week. You need to work on your mobility every single day. If you do move fast once a week, move powerfully once a week, like if you find the different qualities that your body is able to do, and you just do it once a week, just give yourself exposure to it, you are 99.9% further ahead than everyone else. Move different weights at different speeds, at different tempos, in different planes of motion, and most likely you'll be fine because sprinting is the, in my, I think, the first thing that people lose because we don't do it anymore. And it's one of the most important things that we hold on to from a hormonal level, from a full gait perspective of just how human bo- like bodies are supposed to biochemically move. So for the everyday person, if you don't know where to start, just think of those qualities. Am I strong once a week? Am I fast once a week? Am I powerful once a week? Am I mobile every single day? And if you answer those questions, yes. You're probably not that far behind the curve.
0: Love that. That's it. That is like really really simple and solid advice right there. And I think what can get overwhelming is not knowing where to start, but Yeah. What are your kind of recommendations in terms of, well, how, who do I look to and how do I start in understanding some cuz just telling someone to go out and be fast sometimes not not great for someone who doesn't know how to run.
2: Of course. It's an expression of power though, right? So like I'll say an expression of power, yes, is Muhammad Ali throwing a punch, but it's also a grandparent that's stopping themselves from falling Mm. or somebody that touched a hot stove and moved their hand really, really quickly. So we have these abilities to express speed and power. We just forget how to do it. Totally. so don't think that if you can't run, then jog. If you can't jog, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: My sprint is going to look different from your sprint. And at the end of the day, when we're especially when we're doing something like cardiovascular work, all I care about is what happens to your heart. I don't care about anything else. So if you're playing a VR video game and your heart gets up to 180 beats per minute, dude, you just did some serious cardio. So, it's important for people to know, like, at the end of the day, especially when it pertains to cardiovascular work, all that matters is what happens to your heart. Do oh, yeah. you want to swim? Swim. If you want to play video games and that gets your heart rate somehow going, do that. If you want to run on the beach, do that. It does
1: not matter what you do.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I love that. And I love how you talked about power. And a lot of the times when we think about, like, powerful movements or explosive movements, we're thinking about athletes, but you immediately brought it around to someone who's aging And I think a lot of the times when we see people who are aging, like just getting up off a chair, getting up off a toilet, like those are the most functional, powerful things that, like you said, people start to lose and we wonder why. And it's just that ability to express power through our strength and through our emotion that we already have. I think that's so valuable because I've worked on so many people with that in their later stages of life. (laughs) I want to kind of turn and talk a little into your health journey. And I I think I read that you recently or not too long ago had had back surgery. And I want you to speak a little yeah. bit into that experience if you're open to that.
2: For sure. You know, that was one of the most humbling experiences of my life by far. So I was in uh, Colombia. This story could go on for a long time, but I'll give you the, the clip notes. <laughs> I was in Colombia. Um, one thing led to another, and I flipped an ATV mm. and uh, was completely unconscious. Woke up, thought I was in Italy, I think. Uh, something like that, it was pretty bad, so I come home um, and there's this little tingling that happens in my foot that over the course of a few months, turns into a electricity down my leg, which turns into a deep pain into my glute, which finally manifests itself in me being in the most absurd pain every single day and I went to every single you know i'm so blessed that I have. Friends like Jen and Vin and, you know, my boss up at Roke and all these people that are brilliant minds in the physical therapy world. And so I can only imagine going through this had I been somebody in the middle of, you know, the Midwest with no connections to the health industry. I would have because I already felt lost. And everyone gave me every exercise, told me everything to do, but in my heart, I knew that something was wrong. Like something was just not right. And people kept telling me, don't get an MRI. You don't need to get an MRI. And I, I still get triggered to this day because a lot of people bash getting MRIs. And While I understand that, I also think if you have the means to do it, having the whole picture is never a bad thing. Um, just depends on what your action is moving forward or if you feel like you can't spend that kind of money. Mm-hmm. But I put it off for so long because everyone kept telling me, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um. It finally got to the point where I didn't leave my apartment for seven days. Couldn't leave because by the time I got up out of the bedroom and walked to the bathroom, i had to sit down to pee. So I finally go into the doctor's office and I get an MRI and he comes back with a 16 millimeter herniation. Um, This thing looked like King Kong, like it took over my whole spine. Uh, I tried to do one calf raise on my right side. I couldn't do it. I had significant atrophy of my right leg. And the doctor basically says to me, hey, man, it's not a matter of if so you have surgery, it's when, and the answer needs to be within three days. Otherwise, you're going to lose control of your bowels, and you're going to have severe atrophy and probably not be able to like have the mind-muscle connection for a little bit. So um, like a little over a year and a half to two years later, I ended up having surgery, woke up the next day, and I know that my situation is not normal, right? 90% of disc herniations reabsorb themselves, so I don't want to give out like this false sense that everyone should go get surgery because they should not. But for me and my situation, it ended up being the perfect um, ending because I woke up with not an ounce of pain and full strength in my leg.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for telling your story. I think it's really important that people hear all sides of the spectrum because they can easily listen to some of our stuff and say they're against surgery, which is not true at all. We've had many people on who. Some have not had surgery, some have. And the, the point of it's individual for each, for each experience and each journey. And what I think is so incredible as well, Max, is the way that you've come out of it and what you're doing for your body now and the way that you're demonstrating like your gratitude toward now having this thing be free from you. And so you're going to use your capacity of your body to its full capacity and continue moving and exploring. And that, that's the goal. Whether you have surgery right. or not, whether you need to or not, the goal is, what am I going to do now? And you're exemplifying And that's, that's that. where
3: it
2: blows my mind that people that um, actively choose to do nothing with it, I just don't, I don't understand it, to be honest with you. Um, not from a aesthetic lens, not from a body shaming lens, not from anything other than you wake up with this machine that you, that will not always be able to do what you do today, right? When I'm 90 years old, I will not be able to physically do what I do today, but I can sit down and watch the TV, hopefully if I'm alive. So like, what am I doing with this perfectly (laughs) moving machine every single day by not exploring it in its full capacity?
1: I, it's like I'm spitting in my own face by not doing that. That, yeah, that's really powerful to say, and I think that's something that I've kind of said that mirrors that is, you know, we are machines and extremely adaptable, adaptable machines, but we adapt to what we do consistently. And right there, you need to move your machine based on what you want to do in the future, and our machine is going to respond and talk back to us based on that. If somebody's going to want to start exploring more into their body. Specifically, maybe some of the stuff that you do and put out, where can they find more of that online?
2: Uh, my Instagram's Max MaxArtsis, M-A-X-A-R-T-S-I-S. And I have uh, my websites like on the the bio. So all my stuff's in there. Yeah. I love that we didn't even talk about the professional athlete stuff. I actually really love that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they can see how you train. But honestly, beyond just seeing what you're doing, the education that you put on your page too is super unique. Um, I remember talking to you this right before we came on, but I'm just, I'm loving... You know, it's unfortunate that Instagram doesn't show you all your people because I was like, looking, I'm like, why isn't this stuff popping up on my page? This is great. Like,
2: it's so ridiculous. I know. <laughs> I know. All the social stuff, like, I don't understand what I'm doing with it. And I think that's a hard thing for people to also understand is like, who's a good trainer and who's really good at marketing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the main things that I love looking at your page too is seeing that you're saying, here's what I love that I stole. <laughs> here's what I stole that's that's really cool and you should implement and why I've implemented it, who I implement it from. And I think that is an example of who you should follow. It's not the people who are tearing others down in order to get their point across. Like let's ugh, there's no one way to do anything, people.
2: <laughs> there's the, it, also like there's seven different movement patterns. There's not a lot of movement patterns that the body does. So pretty much everything that could be thought of has been thought of at this point. All we're doing is repurposing it through our own lens. So exactly. anyone that claims that
1: they've created anything is just like wrong. That's where that good marketing comes in, right? So if anybody's ever trying to sell something that they say, "Hey, this is the way and this is going to be, you know, the thing that fixes you," regardless of if you come back to them and say, "Hey, I don't know if this is quite working for me," if they keep trying to <laughs> drill the, you know, round peg into that same square hole then you might want to get the heck out of there and, and find someone different. Yeah.
2: And anything that you teach, if I taught the same exact thing, would come across completely differently because we have different yeah. perspective and a different lens that we speak through. Exactly. So even by me taking something that you're doing, it has now taken on its own life. Like it's it's a completely
1: different thing just by me teaching it. Yep. Which in in that, you know, process is how someone creates something that is their own and thinks they've created something unique, right? Because they've just taken a whole bunch of tools from what's already out there and packaged it slightly differently and presented it how they're going to present it. And that's incredible, because even if they've, quote, stolen something from somebody else, they're probably going to reach somebody different that that other person may not have been able to reach. So, you know, I think 100% this is- and. Yeah. I mean, with Instagram, yes, there's a lot of really negative stuff about it, but there's so much
2: wonderful things out there that are a part of Instagram. That if you're not using it, you're basically getting a free master's class. Like if you really want to, and you can have mentors now that like we would never have access to without even knowing them. Like like someone on Instagram could be you know in my mind my mentor, and I've never met them.
0: And that's I mean how my network of people and mentors and friends have really has really grown from. It's been an incredible source and and I just want to reiterate like follow the people who are building others up, who are showing what's possible and open to continuing to share that message. So thank you Max so much for being one of those people who is just you're doing it so well. You really are. And I hope people go check you out and go follow you and and check out more about what you do who you are how they can work with you you know because you're you're doing the thing and we love it
1: and there we have it yet another amazing guest on the optimal body podcast so now what we ask of you if you loved any bit of that or resonated with it go share it out share it with a friend share it on your social media because you know there are more people out there that would resonate with it just the same also subscribe rate, review on your favorite podcast app so we know what you want to learn or other guests that you think we should bring on for you in the future. Keep tuning in to find your optimal body.